Hello and welcome to StumbleUpon. I'm Austin. And I'm Emily. And today we're going to be discussing Louis Bunuel's The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie. As always, there will be spoilers and plenty of swearing. But if that doesn't scare you, then grab a bowl of popcorn, put on something comfy, because today we're going to be discussing family dinners. Austin, would you like to give us a synopsis of the film? Yeah, I would love to. The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie is about six fuckers who try to have dinner and are constantly interrupted. Let's be let's be open to the surrealism of this piece not being a good flow. Yeah. It should not be well structured. Mm-hmm. If it's well structured, we are we are failing. Surrealism 101. Thank you. Okay. This should be abstract. Imagery should make no connections. There should be no fluidity or mm-hmm. linearness to this piece. Yeah. Welcome mm-hmm. to stumble upon. Yep. The surrealist episode. Yep. Where nothing makes sense. Uh-huh. And we love it. Yeah. So, Em, do you want to give us a little bit about surrealism to kind of give context to the, the conversation? Absolutely. Surrealism is a cultural movement which began around World War I and was greatly influenced by Dadaism. Mm-hmm. It is the juxtaposing of distant realities to activate the unconscious mind through imagery. It is also kind of defined by some, me specifically. Mm-hmm. Surrealism is... The art of dreams holding equal weight to reality, but their arrangement must be open to the full range of imagination. Mm. And so I would say that it is comfortable being extremely uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that one of the things that I that draws me to Louis Boonwell's films, and I've been watching his films for a really long time at this point, uh, is the fact that th- like they invite a, a sense of complication. Like this, the sense that... The, the description that you're giving of like giving dreams equal weight, giving any possibility to a narrative structure or, or or an idea in the film and just kind of following it and and exploring what could come of it, even if it doesn't really, if it doesn't even move the plot forward, like who gives a shit about the plot? Like the plot is only a construction of the author anyway, as any of the, any of the items of the, of the film are. And so the idea that, that Boonwell, who, had a really interesting and fascinating kind of life of like being born in Spain, growing up with Salvador Dali and uh, and Lorca, and then being basically exiled from his home country because of uh, the the Spanish Civil War and and, and Franco's reign, and him moving to uh, Mexico, Dali moving to it, uh, to France, and then Lorca being killed by Franco's uh, goons. Uh, informed a lot upon the, the work that he did in this sort of world in which there's a lot of complication and it all doesn't make any fucking sense. So like giving equal weight to things that, that, that were super weird as well as super common and, and realizing that there isn't that much difference between the super weird and the super common is something that has always been really a huge draw to me uh, of Boonwell's films. Yeah, Bunuel once said that if he could sleep for 22 hours a day and only work for two, that would be ideal for him. Provided, of course, he could remember all 22 hours of his dreams. Mm. And then he would be able to put them into film. It's funny, like, you say that, and it just reminds me of the fact that uh, Werner Herzog once said that he's never had a dream. And how... how Really? I, yeah, he's like, I, I've never had a dream. Like, I don't remember... Like, I know that I've never had a dream. You know, like, because I make my dreams reality. Those are those are actually my thing. And it's funny to think of these two, like, kind of uh, pinnacles of, of different cinema in, in, in the 70s and in before and after... 
being completely the an- antithetical to each other in mm-hmm. regards to uh, how they view their their dreaming world. And and I like while I love Herzog's films and I think that they're very fascinating discussions of humans human existence. I I think I'm more drawn to Boonwell just because mm-hmm. of exactly what you're talking about. This like this sort of like 22 hours of dreamscape. Like that is his fucking filmography if every nothing time. else. Every time. He he is so punk rock and anarchist in his work by defining dreams as equal mm-hmm. to reality. And and he once said that him and his um, writer for Discreet Charm mm-hmm. and many of his later works. Yeah, yeah, uh, Belle de Jour he mm-hmm. did as well and uh, Phantom of Liberty. And they what they did was they would sit there and challenge each other to make it as absurd as possible and to disconnect mm-hmm. as much as possible from yeah. scene to scene to scene to scene. And what I would say with that, like, I, I sorry to cut you off, but no. I think I think that one thing that is fascinating about that is even if you even if you try to denigrate it with the idea of making it dream logic because what you're talking about is like these scenes that don't seem to to make sense together but are back to back and we're going to try to challenge each other to be be unique and uh and kind of divisive in our in our writing style they make sense as narrative and it, it fascinates me because since film is a uh, a linear structure, like we don't watch films in a in kind of a circle or a cycle, we watch a film straight front to back. We don't just like pick scenes randomly, like and and see what we infer that way. Which probably would be an amazing way to to watch a Boonwell film. Like, I think it'd be interesting to watch any film. Like, that could it, be a fun experiment. And, and in fact, it reminds me of I think the book is called I think it's called Hopscotch, which is a. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, a, a surrealist novel that you can like that the structure of the book is you can read it in the 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 way that it's like front to back yeah front to back but there's also a different way that the author intended it that you read it different chapters in different orders including chapters that are not in the main con main text of the first book so there's a different way to read it so you could experience something that is amazing right that is that is that is like uh, that is unlike uh, uh, a cinematic experience in 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 in, in that book. It's right? almost like a choose your own adventure, except for it's not. Yeah, it, it yeah, it's it's a fascinating way of trying to uh, articulate or actualize an art form, and and something that like getting back to my main point, I think, is that like even if that was his intention with his writer, these films of his, and specifically the discreet charm of the bourgeois feels very structured to me. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like very intentional. It's it's action, like how it moves forward, like how it reveals information about each each character and mm-hmm. the story. Like the film starts with them driving in a car. There's no real landmarks or anything to really see or delineate where you are other than headlights on random artifacts or 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 cars or whatnot, like as they drive. And then we get to the house and the ambassador, uh, Francois, his wife, Simone, and her sister, Florence, get to the house and uh, arrive for a dinner party that they believe they're having that night. When they are let in, Alice, who uh, who lives there, uh, tells them that they're there on the wrong day. One night early. One night early. And they get into a kind a tiny argument and like then they decide that they're going to go someplace else for dinner. And that's kind of the stumbling quality of this film. Like something comes along 
it interrupts it, interrupts the narrative, and changes the course of the action. There's a wonderful quote about about Boonwell's work, which, unfortunately, Marie Claire is the writer, but I cannot pronounce her last name, so I'm not going to pr- pretend. And she said, obstacles create frustration. Frustrations prompt dreams, and dreams repeat the obstacles. Hmm. And so the first obstacle is the uh, the day early for yep. dinner, and there's no food. And so the next obstacle is they head to the restaurant mm-hmm. where there's a new obstacle waiting for them. Yeah. And it just stumbles. You're right. Yeah. It just stumbles and stumbles and stumbles throughout the whole film. Yeah. This incredibly concise story mm-hmm. that is feels rambly mm-hmm. until you really think about it mm-hmm. and realize how structured it is in its inability to eat dinner. Yeah. But even like even in its structure, like so we have that first scene where they have the dinner. They try to have dinner, the, the group of them. Uh, Alice's husband is not home, which is the, one of the reasons why they can't have dinner. Then they go they go to a, a restaurant in which they order dinner, but then they find that the person who is who runs the restaurant has died, and there is a wake happening in the restaurant for the man, and they all and his leave. His dead body is and, right there yeah, in the dining room, and people are grieving him and his dead body very loudly. It, it's while, amazing while they're trying to order, <laughs> and then and they're not at all stopped by the fact that the door is locked. Yep. Yeah. And they're like, and and she's trying, the waitress is trying to like kind of slow them down. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we're coming in or we're out forever. And, and this, and you bringing that up g- gives me one of the things that I find most interesting about the film, which is a question that I have that comes to me because of the, the title of the film, The Discreet Charm. So what is The Discreet Charm? Because the film itself is obviously very, very uh, antagonistic towards the bourgeois and towards this idea of class and the structure of it. And it's something that uh, Boonwell worked on throughout his career. Like uh, The Exterminating Angels, which is the first film that I came to of Boonwell's, is a film about a group of bourgeois people who, uh, after the after a night at the opera, come to a very bougie house, uh, have dinner, and go upstairs. And the first part of the film repeats so you see it twice, almost as if the film forgot that it should cut it, but you see it twice. And then all the all the people in the house, all the, the, the servants, leave, but the bourgeois cannot. They go upstairs, they go into a room, and they cannot leave. They can't leave forever. And then a crowd of people grow, grows outside their house, and at some point, they eventually are allowed to leave, and then another thing happens at the very end of the film. And that's a really brief and kind of poor disco- discussion of no, the film. No, it's perfect. Yeah, it's but, the twin of this movie. Yeah, but I would, but but his kind of criticism of the bourgeois in that is tied to his uh, exile from from Spain. Like this, this group of people are stuck in a place and they don't know why they can't get out, and they don't know why other people can't help them, and they don't know why they're why they're being isolated when in reality their isolation is because of how terrible of a human being they are and of a, of a, of a ruling class they are. And that also extends to this film and you learn it in a slightly different way because so after the first dinner, uh, the next scene that we have is we have the ambassador having Henri and Francois over to his uh, ambassador's house in which uh, they discuss the drug deal that they're that they're doing, and uh, then the ambassador sees a protester from his country, which is a country named Miranda, which doesn't exist, 
and he pulls out a gun and shoots her toys while she's on the street. He shoots them from his ambassadorship in in the fucking in the fucking room, and it's like it, it, without impu- with impunity. So it's just like his his kind of hatred of, uh, or not hatred here, his dismissal or frustration, maybe hatred of of the bourgeois is something that is really a fascinating kind of, uh, running kind of narrative in, in Boonwell's work. So one of the things that I find interesting. Uh, about the film is like just this idea of the discreet charm of the bourgeois, and and like I I have trouble at times even thinking about it. Do they have any charm? Are they discreetly charming? But like I I'm interested in your uh, kind of opinion and take on that. Well, I think that Bunuel is being really funny with the title because while they are exceptionally charming on the surface, they are terrible people underneath and therefore there is nothing discreet about them mm-hmm. that they're only charming on the front that they're all surface there's mm-hmm. no substance and that's i think Boonwell's whole angle mm-hmm. he really likes taking a type and then he likes turning it on its head mm-hmm. so you have the bishop who murders a man right after um absolving him of his crime mm-hmm. um that doesn't seem like a very good priest yeah um you have you have the ambassador who, as as we discussed, is is you have the ambassador who is a drug a drug runner mm-hmm. and smuggling cocaine in his diplomatic pouch, mm-hmm. um, and they discuss the American ambassador who uh, four of them have all previously yeah gone to jail for this very mm-hmm. same act. Yeah, do we know what Henry and and Francois do for a we living? We don't know what they do. They're just bougie. Yeah. Oh no! Wait. Um, Henry is one of the drug smugglers. Yeah, but like... Is I he... guess that's how he makes his money. Okay. Like, I always just kind of assumed that they were lawyers. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I, they might be lawyers. Or just like, oh, they're kind of lawyers. Like, they seem like lawyers. They're kind of vibing or yeah. bankers or something. Yeah. What I... Oh, man. I don't even know what they do. We don't no. know what the other two do. No. We don't know what the women do either. No, not at all. Other than other than one of them is a drunk. Possibly. Maybe. The little sister. Yeah. Florence. And then we know that Inez, the maid, is the maid. Yeah. And so and that, she's working her butt off. And that she's 52, but looks like she's 22. She's, yeah, that's a great joke. Um, and so, no, we do not know what anybody else does other than the bishop and the ambassador. Mm-hmm. And Henry and, and, and then there's the ambassador, another element of him, besides the fact that he's smuggling drugs in his diplomatic pouch. Mm-hmm. A big no-no, by the way. Yeah. Is it? It's true. We are not supposed to do that. Huh. I know, Shocking. Shocking. Um, Learn something every day. I know. You're welcome, everybody. Uh, But what I also love, what I loved was the comment made by Henry or Francois, what are you going to do? How are you going to invest your money Uh from the drug smuggling? And he was like, well, definitely not in Miranda. (laughs) And you're like, wow. So not only are you smuggling drugs Mm -hmm. from Miranda, we can assume, but you're not going to put the money back into your own damn country, you piece of shit. Um, And I love how over and over and over again, he is just a terrible ambassador. Mm-hmm. He doesn't care about his country at all. Right. Except for in his dreams where everybody criticizes him about his his country and he gets upset. And there's a dream in which a, a, a colonel or a commander uh, criticizes him and it ends with him shooting. The duel. Yeah. But isn't that the dream by Francois? Yeah, it is the dream by Francois. So it must be in his everyday life. No. Can we talk just briefly about the dreams? Possibly? We should absolutely talk about the dreams. Because there's a way to look at this film, I think, 
in which the entire film is a dream. Mm. Because the last, like, because at the very end of the film, uh, the ambassador wakes up. So are all the dreams before before it. He wakes up and then he goes and eats food right, with the most lettuce that anybody has ever had in their fridge so and an much... obscene and uncomfortable amount of plastic bags. There was I know for for being in the 70s there was an awful lot of plastic in his fridge, but there was so much lettuce. Yeah, I've never seen like, that man does not eat that much lettuce. No, nobody eats that much lettuce. No. Uh, maybe maybe if he had rabbits. Yeah, maybe if he, maybe maybe he, maybe he's an animal lover. <laughs> As he says, and eats all that lamb. Yeah, <laughs> he eats it while looking at lambs. Generally, oh, um, dark. And, and like the other thing, like the last part, the last thing of the film is them walking again because there's a ton, there's a bunch of scenes of them walking in a field or on a road in a field, just over and over again, not talking to each other, just kind of walking aimlessly. Which I love that Boonwell. I've read. Um, that he just kind of came up with that idea while they were filming. It was not part of the script, uh-huh. and so they just went out and shot a whole day of walking. Uh-huh. And um, and I just love that he he just peppered it throughout the film to get this mm-hmm. constant sense of like going nowhere. Yep. And I will I will say even though I kind of sounded a little bit uh, deriding towards the walking, I fucking love it. Like there's so much incredible acting going on with all the performers yeah. in that se- in all those scenes, like all the like minutia and mundane uh banalities that they're doing it's just like it's so fascinating to watch all of them like they are all so fascinating while they're walking i'm like what how are you how is this just a really banal scene and also very interesting it's like when alice and and simone are walk. they're holding hands at one point like little girlfriends Mm -hmm. and then uh, her little sister Florence is like waving around a, a big weed, mm-hmm. and I think it, they're passing the big giant like flower. It's not a flower; it's like a weed uh-huh. that they pass between each other, and somebody's always somebody's holding it at any point. Yeah. It's it is. It's like this. They went for hours and hours, and it's awesome. It, yeah. it has that vibe of like it's just shooting for days. Yeah, and just like it's it, it gives a sense that I think also the film gives that like there's no end to the bourgeois. No, like they're always just going to be kind of there doing generally shitty things, doing nothing and, and 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 looking for praise for it. Well, that's 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 a really good point with them, because, I mean, that is, of course, Boonwell. He's always, as I said, turning turning stereotypes on their head mm-hmm. because the reality of life, especially if he's existing through Franco, he, they're existing through the First World War, the flu pandemic, the absurdity as we've experienced this last two years the absurdity of everything we just mm-hmm. we're, everything is always on its head and the the truth is that a bishop would kill a man and get away with it mm-hmm. an ambassador would smuggle drugs and with diplomatic immunity do his best to get away with it and, and also have a have a person from his country murdered and get away with it right and, and, the the dissident yeah like just getting like and not even get his hands dirty like Mm-mm. even present it like i'm letting you go and then wave a little flag and have two uh, Two thugs just show up and put you in a car and yeah. disappear you. After he tries to to assault her yeah. first, first he's going to try to rape her, and yeah. when that doesn't work, not only not like both verbally and physically rape mm-hmm. her, like telling her that like that she has the body for something, and then physically oh, doing something beyond so it, and it just gross. it is like it is it is just fucking disgusting. Oh, all while having it just tried to sleep with his best friend's wife. And, and what's like I love I love that scene I love that whole sequence because like he 
he and his best friend's wife. Uh, so it's uh, the ambassador and Simone. Uh, almost have sex. And then uh, Simone's husband shows up. And two things about this. One, one, my favorite thing is no one in this film seems to know how to get their clothes off. Nobody like, does. Like it is, it is a comedy of errors just watching everybody try to get undressed. Like, like the, my favorite was definitely Vincent Cassell's dad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was the funniest. Yeah. That the scene between Alice and Henri uh, for getting, for having sex is, is incredible. Like, they 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 start off fully clothed and they only seem to get like like maybe a, like a tenth of the way undressed yeah, at any time like they're sitting on each other's clothes they don't know how to put the arms out of the right holes like you know, like <laughs> they how, don't know how to position themselves there's a really it's, amazing. it's a really clear why these people don't have children because <laughs> they have never been able to successfully have sex <laughs> it certainly seems that way uh, I love that he's yeah I love that he's playing with the absurdity of sex I mean everyone loves to portray it as this beautiful mm-hmm. sensual act yeah. but here he, he just makes it as ridiculous as possible yeah it's a lot of actually sitting on somebody else's clothes and them not being able to get them <laughs> off and be like oh don't rip it don't rip it and not helping each other yeah you're so wrapped up in trying to get your own clothes off that you don't realize both of you are somehow trapping the other person's <laughs> clothing underneath them. You're like, I don't understand what's going on. I mean, in that scene you're mentioning with the ambassador and Simone, she's even talking off screen. I can't get this dress. This is really this dress is really hard to get off. Yeah. And he's sitting there popping his Viagra and yep. just being like, I'm focused on this. Yep. And it's like, dude, no. Are you guys connecting in any way? And that's actually a really good point because when he gets interrupted by uh, Francois showing up, they all go back into their social, socially accepted norms of being like, okay, so I can be okay with uh, my wife being here as long as I don't like, as long as I don't show outwardly that I'm upset. Like nobody wants to show their show that they've made a mistake to anybody else. They cannot bear the idea that anybody else in the group would be like, you're wrong in this. Like when that happens, it leads to violence. Like in the dream about, uh, with the, the ambassador and, uh, and the Colonel and the, and the duel. Yeah. Because you see him look out the window, the ambassador look out the window right after Francois and Simone leave and they're yelling at each other as they're getting into the car. So he, Francois is pissed and they clearly understands that his mm-hmm. wife is having an affair. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. They don't they don't confront the friend. Yeah. It's just like everything has again, goes back to surface. Everything has to be mm-hmm. dis- discreetly charming on the surface. Mm-hmm. Nobody go beneath the surface yeah. and get to know any of the ugly dirty details. Yeah. Uh they're they're fine with everybody's hypocrisy as long as nobody calls them out on it. Absolutely. Like you're like it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Like just don't mention it. Like there's this really great scene in the second time that they meet up for dinner or a lunch dinner and uh, Simone is talking to the ambassador about her sister and how she shouldn't have a drink because she was throwing up out of the car, like making a fool of herself and got dirt under her nails. And the last thing she says is dirt under her nails. And it isn't like, like it, like that seems like it's somehow a lesser offense to me at least. But then the, the little sister's like, I'm not the one who did that. And there's a look that Delphine Segrid gives to the ambassador, the actor who plays uh, Simone, that is just fucking amazing. Yeah. This like 
don't call me out on this. Mm-hmm. Like, like so, so embarrassed, so embarrassed about the idea that there could be dirt under her nails. Mm-hmm. So exceptionally, so exceptionally rendered in a, in the sense of like this is the thing that actually bothers her. Not no, like her sister's not bothered by being a fall down drunk and throwing up everywhere. She does it immediately after that. Exactly, and and also the fact that. At the time that they're talking about this dirt in the nails, uh, Alice and Henri are out in their yard trying to have sex, trying to get their clothes off, I'm assuming, still, (laughs) uh, because they couldn't do it upstairs of their own house because their guests might hear them. So they had to leave through the window in their bedroom outside and, and hide in their fields. In the rhododendrons. To have sex. Rather than rather than have their their guests hear them, or or rather than wait till their guests wait, leave, wait like yeah. two hours. <laughs> yeah. So like they like like this is like this sort of weird, unique like uh, idiocy of like no no the the real bad thing the real faux pas here is having dirt under my nails. Yep, the surface and and that is a really good. That is so good to point out the two happening simultaneously. Mm-hmm. It's such a wonderful juxtaposition. Yeah, and it's, and it's so funny. And and it's what I mean when I say that like he's happy to complicate issues, like to make things more complicated, to make it actually a, a lot more difficult to to maybe watch casually. I mean, yes, and obviously like, very dense. Obviously, as for American viewers who most of us don't speak two languages like watching it's too bad for you guys yeah watching a film in french requires us to look at the subtitles so there's already a level of being like oh there's multiple thoughts that i have to hear so boonwell is like i don't give a shit like there's multiple multiple thoughts fucking is this a dream is this what like what do you think this is like engage fucking engage don't don't view this as a simple thought yeah no and i do that's true i really love that about his work is too often we have really dull not dull but just super simplified cinema these Mm -hmm. days we are living in a marvel universe and it is boring Mm -hmm. so it's really fun to spend time with a really really dense film Mm -hmm. like this because we've watched it just this week alone like three times Mm -hmm. and um there's so much more going on than i've seen yet yeah there's so much every time you watch it there's something new like Mm -hmm. just think about that little moment right before the bishop goes and murders the dying man who yeah. is days away from dying. Yeah. But he's like, nah, you know what I'm going to do? Blow his face off. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. That moment right before he goes in, you have the woman who had brought him there, who mm-hmm. found him and brought him there and says, this is a dying man. He needs to have absolution before he dies. She is fucking awesome. She is. She's so good. She's so funny. She's so, it's, um, it's just such an amazing moment when she's just like, I'm, I hate Jesus and I want to tell you about it and he's like cool but first I gotta go deal with this dying guy and then we'll circle back and she's like well I gotta go sell carrots so peace (laughs) and it's just awesome it's so like it's but it's but it's life like we are out for a walk and we go to get a coffee and you know you never know who you're gonna run into that tells you everything yeah I mean that's that is the interesting thing about life it's like you go how many times have have there been trauma dumping yeah. in the world, like the scene at the at the uh, the tea house, which very mm-hmm. much vibes with Anna Biller's Victorian tea room. Yeah, um, how many how many times in your life have you stumbled upon a person who 
trauma dumps on you. Mm-hmm. Like, and then it happens there. It happens multiple times throughout this film. Yeah. Where people are like, Bleh. Yeah. And it's awesome. Uh-huh. And, and, and speaking of that scene, it's a really fascinating set of sequences because, like, you start off, like, it, it ha- the scene starts after the first time we see the group walking. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the first time, like, it's a kind of like a palate cleanser. And then we get to, to, to have... The only scene with all the women who, mm-hmm. who are in the film talking. Oh, it is the only scene where all women are. Right. And what I find, like, like it, what I find fascinating and, and something that, like, I'd like to hear your opinion on as well in, in regards to this is... Happy to provide it. So the, the scene starts with the women sitting down. Uh, the sister uh, comments how she hates the cellist. Oh, she, yeah. Makes her sister switch chairs with her. I love that. But all the while, this scene is framed so that there's one chair at this foretop that's empty and it's in frame. Mm-hmm. So we know from like visual cues from the very beginning that somebody else is going to enter the scene. But the first person who enters the scene is the waiter who takes their takes their order <laughs> f- for for tea. Which he'll come back three times and tell them he, he they this place that serves only tea it seems doesn't have any tea. No tea. It, it doesn't have any coffee. No coffee. And, no milk. Yeah, and and, and no def- herbal tea. And definitely doesn't have any cognac. No. Nope. But but no if brandy. they but if they ran out of water they'd be really in trouble. And you have the feeling <laughs> at the scene at like if the scene went any further that they would be out of water too. <laughs> but so so there's this empty chair and it, the women are like talking. To each other about uh, the cellist. They switch chairs. And then... She's such a child in that moment. I love it. Oh, it's great. And then then one of them notices that a a soldier, a lieutenant, is uh, looking at them. And what I find really interesting, one, is that uh, it's Alice turns to Simone and says, Do you know him? And she says, no, he's a lieutenant. Um, And I find that interesting because this scene is right before the scene where she, Simone, goes to have her rendezvous with the ambassador. And Mm -hmm. it makes me just kind of wonder upon multiple viewings if it's an open secret that Simone has multiple affairs because she doesn't ask because because Alice doesn't ask. Simone's sister, she directs the question only to Simone. Well, I had two reads of that. Yeah, please. One was that it was first because Simone was like, oh, he's a lieutenant. Mm-hmm. And she's like, do you know him? Mm-mm. As in... It doesn't happen that way. She says, do you know him? And she's like, that person is looking at us. And she goes, who? And like, do you know him? Like, no, he's just a lieutenant. Like, I, th- I, re- I guess I'll have to go back and watch it again because I thought it was a reverse and it was just because she could read his stripes. Mm-mm. Okay. Well, I definitely think that Alice knows Simone is having an affair. Mm-hmm. If not, if not, hasn't had multiple affairs. They've been best friends forever. Yeah. Is how it, how it vibes anyway. And so you get the sense that she definitely knows her, her friend is sleeping with someone else. And maybe she's like, oh, is that this guy? Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with you on that, that mm-hmm. I think it does definitely vibes that way. Um, but uh, 
because you definitely see the two of them have such a bond. Yeah. You, and and the sister Florence is so on the outside. And, and wonderful. Like she's that, such a great third wheel. Yeah, she's great. She's such a trauma fest, uh, but never actually executes anything. Well, she seems like she's a hot mess and we're like ready for it, but then we never get to see her execute her hot messness. Well, it, it, what you're describing goes right with the theme of the film. Like she gets interrupted every time she's about to do her hot mess act. Oh, yes, when she's so, like when the lieutenant is down. Yeah, the lieutenant asks them all like he comes over and sits down, interrupts them, tells them who he is, and then sits down and then asks them, did you have a happy childhood? And I want to like this whole lieutenant scene is fucking amazing because Jesus Christ, he sits down, asks three people he probably doesn't know. Maybe knows Simone. We don't know. Doesn't matter. Doesn't fucking matter. Don't he asks him. So. Don't think he knows them. First thing he says is, did you have a happy childhood? Uh, uh, Alice and Simone are like, yeah. Uh, and friends and Florence is like. Well, actually, I had this, I had the Euclid syndrome or Euclid something. Mm-hmm. And he's like, let me tell you a story. Let's get ready to hear about me. I'm a white guy. And just like a, just like a white guy, he just dumps out all of his thoughts. And there's a couple of really interesting things about his thoughts because they. It, oh, it's a great scene. It cuts to a new scene, which starts with a woman entering a room. And you think that, or at least I thought the first time I saw it, that this woman is his mom that right. he's going to talk about. No. This woman is not his mom. It's just the person to bring the young version of him, maybe a maid, maybe the head housekeeper. I don't know. Just bring the young lieutenant before he's in like a 12-year-old version of him to his father. And then his father tells him now that his mother has died that he's going to military school. And then... I don't want to deal with you. I don't want to deal with you. You need to have some discipline. Here you go. And then... The kid leaves the room, kind of plays in a hallway, and then sees his dead mother. I love the way he played in the hallway, by the way. I just, just bouncing that. off the walls. I used to do that as a kid. Yeah. I loved it. And, and circ- it was like such a nice touch. Touching a wall, spinning, touching was, the other wall. It was just, such a good touch as a kid. Like, yeah. It was such a good moment for mm-hmm. the little kid to be a little kid. Yeah. And, and that should be also said uh, about this film. It is really well lived in, no matter how, like, like archetypal or attacky or, like, like, uh, surrealist it is it feels really well lived in the characters feel like people they don't feel like constructs Mm -hmm. they don't feel fake in Mm -hmm. any way they're shitty people but they feel real yeah getting back to it Mm -hmm. so he sees his mother who's dead uh and he goes and he tries to find her but she's not in the room that he's in any that he that he saw her in and so he starts writing in her lips in her lipstick on a mirror something mama i love you yeah and then and then she calls to him from the closet awesome. and comes out of the closet. Um, but all the time that she's speaking, she doesn't move her mouth. And there's these wonderful jump cuts. Yeah. And it show, and she tells him about how he is not really the, the son of the man who calls himself his dad. He's actually the son of this person who was killed in a duel. And she points and the guy's dead on the bed. Yeah. Like who was gross and yeah, bleeding she, out. Yeah, who was who who died in the duel. She clearly has no problem traumatizing her child by haunting him. Oh, and, and like I want to get to that whole thing. But first, like so she she tells him that uh she tells him this and tells him where to find poison in the house. Tells him to pour the poison into his fake father's uh milk, which we see the fake father then drink the milk and die. And then we cut back to uh sorry. We see the father drink the milk and die. But as he's dying, he sees both his dead wife and her lover, mm-hmm. both in their dead remain area, like bleeding and, and ghastly. 
And then we cut back to him telling the story. With his piercing blue eyes. With his piercing blue eyes, where he says, uh, he says, like, a few days later, I went on to have the most thrilling experiences, which to me is the funniest fucking line in the movie. Like, oh, yeah. Like, two fucking things. Two fucking things there. One, he tells a story to a group of strangers about... How he killed his father with poison. Mm -hmm. He poisoned his dad. And then is like, and then I had the most thrilling experiences of my life. It was really fun to be in military school. And and also, like, is he in his in his story? Is he is he just talking about his trauma? Like, is he he trying? It's called trauma dumping. Yeah, he did it. Yeah, is he is he actually speaking about a ghost that he talked to, or has he disassociated so hard because his father is telling him to go to school? That he dreamed up himself the idea that his mom, his dead mom, came to him and told him that he wasn't actually the son of this person. Who knows? Like, it doesn't matter, but it's both, like, it's both, it's both crazy and fascinating to be like, okay, so the psychosis of this human being who came over and trauma dumped on this group of people who are going to have their own sort of deal but never get to in any way. They don't even have coffee. They don't even have coffee. They don't even get a glass of water because Simone's like, well, like, actually, I've got to run. I have gotta a, I, I got to go have an affair. Yeah, I got to go. I, I, I got to go <laughs> try to get out of these clothes somehow. <laughs> I know. And, and I won't be able to do that. Everything is interrupted. It's it's cool that you brought up that scene, too, though, because I did love the ghost mama mm-hmm. and ghost bio dad. Um, but what I thought was really interesting was that's there's two scenes where we see dead people. Mm-hmm. So the scene with the father, the, the adoptive father getting murdered, the ghost family. Mm-hmm. And then you see the bishop killing the dying man. Mm-hmm. But every scene. Oh, no. And then you see the the um, ambassador shoots yep. the colonel. Yeah. So we see three murders. You have a fourth. Which the, is. The fourth is when the whole group of them get murdered in yes. at, at the very end. Yes, when they all get murdered in the by ambassador's dream. Who knows who? Terrorists? People who are maybe drug dealers? Pro- probably Mafia? probably people from Miranda. Miranda, maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But here's the fun part. Yeah, because they were going after the ambassador. Yeah. But he's also the drug runner, so yep. it could be deal drug deal. Yep. But what's great about all of it is if you look at it, every single vignette, because you know, you can have two scenes go together, but it goes as a vignette. Mm-hmm. Um it's about there's a death. There's death discussed in every single one. Mm-hmm. There's not a single one that doesn't have death discussed. Yeah. The first one, the first vignette would be them ending up at the restaurant. Yeah. And then there's the dead body. Yeah. There's the second one. Has the bishop talking about, about his, his dead family. father being murdered and, uh-huh. and looking super guilty, by the way. Oh, yeah. I thought even for though, sure he was the one who did it. Even though it turns out he's not the guy. He didn't he, do it. He's super guilty looking. But I do think that's so interesting. And of course, it makes sense with Boonwell, everything he experienced mm-hmm. and, and everything he'd been through. That death would be so much on mm-hmm. on the tip of his tongue, and therefore in every scene, it's just fascinating how he weaves it in so seamlessly. Then you go to the ambassadors, you have to go to the embassy, and you're in the office of the ambassador, and he's shooting at the uh-huh. dissident. And it's just to me, I just find it really fascinating. Then he tries to kill the dis- he does have the dissident killed. Yeah. So there's every step of the way. Yeah. There's death. Yeah, and and, and the death is like either. The people recover from it, they're ghosts, or it happens off screen. Mm-hmm. Like outside of the bishop's murder, which is the only one that really happens on screen and isn't somebody's dream mm-hmm. or somebody's recounting of events. It's the only one that is is honestly yeah. happening, which 
Also, uh, I mean, maybe, maybe, but also like, uh, it, it should be noted. Boonwell didn't really like the Catholic church. No, very no, much. no. That's like, what we loved about him. He yeah. was an atheist who said, who loved to say, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> and he thought that was hilarious. And I think it's hilarious too. Yeah. He's, he was a goddamn godsend. <laughs> he was. Yeah. Uh, no, I do love that. I love his, his mockery of, of, of religion and his mockery mm-hmm. of any kind of system. Mm-hmm. Um, which is correct. I yeah. mean, everything is ridiculous. Like we all have experienced ridiculousness yeah. on many, many levels. And I think we all can agree that it is very cathartic for the heart, especially after this pandemic, to spend time in surrealism. Yeah. And I look forward and hope that we see a real, uh, the new wave of surrealism now that mm-hmm. we have been through so much that Dadaism comes back, surrealism comes back, that we all as artists start to explore yeah. that form of storytelling because Everything is ridiculous. Yeah. And, and if you don't think it's ridiculous, you're not paying attention. COP26, they're not doing anything. Nothing's yeah. going to happen. No. The world is going to burn. Yeah. And and we're like, well, but I mean, do we really want to get rid of cars? Uh, but I love eating meat. You know? And you're like, it doesn't matter what you like. We have to protect the planet. Yeah. And nothing will happen. So surrealism, this is the moment to bring it back. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating, like, just to realize that everything that has been created by man is a structure by us. Yes. And and we we subscribe so fully and completely to these structures that we have built for the most part and our imaginary. And our imaginary. And and I think that that's kind of the thing that Boonwell's getting at and even the surrealist thing that you wrote uh, read at the beginning gets at is there's no real difference between our our dreaming life and our real life because both are fucking absurd. Yes. Like and and the quicker and the sooner we come to a realization that this all all these structures and manifestations of of world is kind of nutsoid, like it's it'll be easier to to digest some of the shit that people do with it. Which leads into perfectly a quote from Boonwell that I wrote down. Mm-hmm. I aim to disturb people and destroy the rules of a kind of conformism that wants everyone to think they are living in the best of all possible worlds. Mm. And I think that's really important because too often we think that we can't break down the structures Mm -hmm. and we think we have no right or that the generation before us did it and we are obligated to to continue it Mm -hmm. or that that's the way it is. So you have like... For example, just in our reality right now, the kind of destruction of the workplace, like mm-hmm. the breakdown of people saying, no, I can work for my own space. I can be responsible for my own work mm-hmm. and I don't need to be in an office space and how the the new changing of the system, the changing mm-hmm. of the guard is just a reminder that everything can shift and everything is malleable and nothing is real. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so great about surrealism. It's like constantly reminding us that this is all fucking made up and imaginary yeah so have fun with it yeah and, and i think that that like to kind of get back to the a question that i asked earlier like i think that that might be what the discrete charm is is this idea that you could look at the houses and the lives that they're living and you could take out some of the the specifics and you could go you know what I'd really like to live in a big house in the country with with gardeners and great lawns and have friends over for lunch. And I'd really like to be able to afford all of this and maybe be an ambassador or be like be well to do in some way, shape or form and have really pretty and fancy things. But at the end of the day, what the film is pointing out is all those things, all those kind of highfalutin, like bougie seeming things, all these motherfuckers actually want is 
is dinner. That's all they really, really want. Dinner and sex. Dinner and sex. And they're not even good at the sex. No. And who, who knows I, if the food is good? Well, we, I, I mean, I, the lettuce. Probably not. Yeah. But like, <laughs> but like at the end of the day, it's so base what mm-hmm. they're actually looking for that the, the, the charm is this idea that there's something that we should strive for that somebody has suggested to us. And Boonwell's attack of that is such. And it's awesome that you bring that up because you have to think about when this came out. So this came out in 1972. We're in the throes of Vietnam, the civil rights movement. So there's there's this unrest, the civil unrest mm-hmm. that exists. And this is this was made to make fun of the bourgeois, obviously, mm-hmm. which no one saw themselves as. The mm-hmm. average person was like, yeah, fuck the bourgeois. This is, fuck these guys and their fancy money and all their chauffeurs and all the mm-hmm. shit they have. Whereas now when people watch it, there's a sense of, but I can become an influencer. Mm-hmm. I can be part of the bourgeois. I'm going to be rich like the mm-hmm. Kardashians. I'm going to influence mm-hmm. people. Everyone has started kind of in the 90s and the 2000s started shifting to this perspective of like, let's overvalue the rich and the celebrity and the wealthy mm-hmm. and this quote self-made mm-hmm. bullshit by the way it doesn't exist anybody you only become a millionaire because somebody got you there mm-hmm. um there so there's this this over obsession with celebrity now mm-hmm. and so what's interesting is that this film shifts it shifts into mocking not the other as it did in the 70s but is mocking us Mm-hmm. It is mocking the average person who believes in celebrity yeah. and, and is obsessed with it. Yeah. And I think that is so important. There's this amazing quote, which hopefully I can remember. The text is an object and it changes perspective depending on where you're standing. Mm-hmm. That is a quote from one of my favorite films, The Clouds of Sils Maria. And I think that's really important to remember that mm-hmm. in all art forms, yeah. the text changes perspective depending on where you are in civilization or where you are uh, in your life, yeah. where you are when you're 20 is really different from where you are when you're 40, which is yeah. really different from where you were when you were five. Yeah. And, and it's also a really important thing when you think about films that 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 came out in the 30s or the 20s or even, even the 90s. And you're like, oh, that part didn't age well. It doesn't mean that the film is a bad film in like it can like a film can be bad with those things as well. But it doesn't it's not a death knell. It's a great way then to look at where we were as a culture and where we are as a culture now and be able to see what has changed in time. Like there is no proper read of any film or any piece of art. Everybody's perspective of it is the most is right in their way because you get to your perspective and you get to your understanding through your choices and life experience. It doesn't mean that that everybody has the right opinion about it, but it does mean that everybody's opinion is valid mm-hmm. about how it is. And absolutely. there's and there's absolutely nobody, there should be nobody out there who's like, no, I am the arbiter. This means this and this means that. Mm-hmm. And that's also screw that. It's also why I fucking fucking hate like deep diving into like Marvel lore or Star Wars lore or any of that bullshit. Because at a certain point with those type of films, you're just sitting there going, oh, so there's a right way to watch this. Mm-hmm. That's not art. Mm-mm. That's that that's fucking math. Mm-hmm. Like like that's 
that is that that's worse than math because at least math has theoretical numbers. Yeah, no, this is like a totalitarian leadership. If you're telling me there's only one way to watch this film, yeah, that's it is truly getting back to what Boonwell escaped when he left Spain. Yeah, like the idea that there was a specific and right and only there's a totalitarian. There's a, a there's a universal truth. There is none. Mm-mm. There is no universal truth. Yeah. There is only your experience mm-hmm. and what you bring to the table. And what you bring to the table could enhance the art mm-hmm. on so many levels. And yeah. you should never discourage yourself from exploring that and looking at it in your own way, bringing your own perspective to the table because you make the art complete. Yeah. The audience completes the art form. It is irrelevant. There's no point to make film if nobody ever sees it. Yeah. Why? Why? I mean, it's fun. Yeah. It's definitely fun. We have yeah. a great time. Yeah. But, and and so actually that leads me to my next, leads me to my next quote from Boonwell. Mm-hmm. We had to open all doors to the irrational and keep only those images that surprised us without trying to explain why. Mm-hmm. And I just love that. I just love, he was just constantly trying to, to just mess with your mind and make yeah. you uncomfortable. It goes back to the beginning. I think surrealism is about being very comfortable with being mm-hmm. uncomfortable. Yeah. With not worrying about whether the audience liked it or not, mm-hmm. or felt comfortable and cozy. Mm-hmm. We are not meant to hide under a cozy blanket, as Emil Coron once said. We are meant to experience yeah. and and feel it. And if it makes us uncomfortable, that's a great question to talk to yourself about. Yeah. And explore. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. What I'll say is, I think the thing that I like about Boonwell is that it in, he invites conversation with the complications of his film and it doesn't mean that they're hard films it just means that they're a lot no they're quite funny yeah they're quite funny and they're well acted and they're well constructed they're not chaos and confusion like he had a very specific perspective of the world Mm -hmm. and he worked very hard to tell that perspective to 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 audiences and to try to get his argument across so when you watch a boonwell film just know that you're watching somebody who knew what they were trying to do. Yes. Very good at his craft. Very good at his craft. But that doesn't mean you have to like it and it doesn't mean you have to get it. It just means that you should come into it openly. Yes. Come for, and that's true for all surrealism. Mm -hmm. When you come to an absurdist or surrealist piece, come with an open mind. Don't try to understand it. Don't look for the plot. Mm -hmm. Don't think you're going to be smarter than it and you're going to get ahead of it. It's not a detective story. Yeah. You're, you're supposed to just let it wash over you. Mm-hmm. And in that, you're going to have a different experience every time. That's what's cool about it. Yeah. I love Only Murders in the Building. Mm-hmm. We love it. It was a great show. Mm-hmm. But it is not one that's going to wash over you in a completely different way each time you watch it. Right. You're going to learn more each time you watch it. It's a lot of fun. But surrealism, it's like every time you come to the table, you could expect to see a completely different film. Yeah. Yeah. It- Depending on where you are. Basically, mm-hmm. the quote you gave. The the quote from Clouds of Sils Maria. <sighs> Text is an object. It changes perspective depending on where you're standing. Mm-hmm. It's such a good quote. Yeah. It's such a good film. Yes, it is. And we will discuss it at a later date. Yeah. I think it would be a shame if we didn't discuss this final scene. Okay. And it is the scene where they show up at 17 the Rue theater. Park. Yeah. And have dinner um, all set up for them. Mm-hmm. And it is in the theater. Yeah. Correct. The theater scene. Yeah. The scene is awesome. Not just because it immediately is similar to the following scene at the colonel's house, mm-hmm. which is, of course, where they were supposed to be going mm-hmm. once they were interrupted by the military coup. Uh-huh. Which is, you know, it's such a bummer when you have a wonderful dinner plan and a military coup interrupts it and decides to have 
decides to fight on your lawn. And, you know, I get it. And tangentially, it's incredible that the military coup starts up or the, the, whatever the fuck it is, the, the, the military exercises, exercises is mad on the lawn. Yeah. It's happening on your lawn. But before they get to do that, they have a conversation where they're like, oh, no, no, this guy had a really great dream. So can you get, let's listen to this really great dream. Hey, everybody. Get some wine. And, and he tells his dream and it's, it's again about death. Like, always about death. And it's, it's actually a really incredible and kind of beautiful story about like, your experience with losing and longing to have your parents back. But the best is he gets done with it. And somebody at the table, they're all like, all our main characters are sort of like, oh, yeah. They are oh. focused. And then all the, the, and there are like 20 now fucking uh, uh, military men soldiers. sitting there. And one of the soldiers is like, tell the one about being on the railroad. That one was great. They're <laughs> like, let's do it. Let's bring in your other dreams. This guy is the dream whisperer. He tells that, everyone. And that dude is totally the guy at the bar going, do Freebird. He's like, <laughs> do the one on the rail. Do that one. I need that one. Oh, my God. I love They're like obviously trying not to go do their exercises. Yeah. I love that they just walk in and then they get to sit down and be like, well, we're going to need dinner. Yeah. And then the bishop, the, and I love that Alice is like, hey, bishop. I need you to go get some chairs. And he goes to get chairs. And she's like, not those chairs, you asshole. And he's like, oh. And he goes back and she's like, fine, it's fine. Just put the chairs down. Yeah, and I'm fine. like, I love that. <laughs> Such a great joke. But I was trying to talk about the theater. Yeah. Because uh, I digressed. <laughs> as we do. But I just I just really loved the element of bringing their their performative lives into an actual performative space. Yeah. And have the curtains pulled back and everybody's nightmare played out of, I don't know my lines. When Vincent Casal's dad looks at everybody and he's sweating and he's staring at the audience. He's like, I don't remember my lines. I don't know what I'm doing here. It was so funny. And yep. I, lo- I love the guy un- under the stage that's feeding the lions. Yep. And the bishop tries to do it. And there's just like, nope. Just the women are just like, out. they're right out. Oh, and I love. It's I, so great. I, I love that. Uh, what's her name? Uh that Florence immediately like recognizes that the space is weird. Like she goes up to the, like where the, the coat of arms should be. And there should be like a couple of swords on a shield and it's just painted and she's just touching it. Yeah. Like Like, she doesn't (laughs) notice that it's 2d. Like it's, she's confused by it in a proper way, but also confused in like, this isn't real. Like, what is happening? I know. It's or so... that they're drinking. They think they're drinking whiskey, and they're yeah, like, it's "This is terrible." Cola. It's quasi cola. And, and then the the waiter or the servant comes out with the chickens, and they chickens. and they fall off the plate, and he just picks them up off the ground and puts them on the table. I know. Before the curtain rises. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> oh, it's great. It's such a great scene, and I love that it then goes deeper into the colonel and then the, the... Yeah. so so before it goes to the colonel, like it's. It's revealed that was... Uh, Vincent Casal's dad's dream. Yeah, uh, Henri's dream. Yeah. No, he's Vincent Casal's dad. He's, he's, he doesn't have an actual he name. He doesn't have his own name. He's, he's just, just... He's just, he's just pre-Vincent. Yeah. Because he looks just like him, but he's yeah. the pre-version. He, he's, he's, he's like a... As a, in his dad. He's like a, a, a an egg is a pre-bird. He's a pre-bird. Okay. He's a pre-Vincent. He's a pre-Vincent. And the pre-Vincent... Yeah, he's wakes a walking, from, ambular pre-Vincent. So pre-Vincent wakes up from his dream. <laughs> He wakes up from a dream on the couch, fully dressed in, in, a uh, in a tux. And his wife is just sitting there, hanging out, like reading. I think or, she's reading a book. Yeah. And they're late to the dinner and at the colonel's house. And they're super cash about it. And they get a phone call. They're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We thought it was at a different time or No, something? I think he was just like, I fell asleep. Yeah, I fell. Okay, yeah. No, and they're sorry. like, we're waiting for you. 
Like, sorry. And then they show up there at the colonel's at the colonel's dinner, mm-hmm. where the ambassador gets into a fight. Yeah, where everybody insults the ambassador about how shitty his home country is mm-hmm. and how ridden with pro- poverty and corrupt and violent it is. And then he gets into a fight with the colonel, which well, he doesn't ever really say no. Yep. He just is like deflect, 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 deflect. And and he also tries to escape rather than yes. like he tries to he doesn't escape. Want to engage. Yeah, he's he's afraid like again getting to the theme of like being uh, being afraid of being called out for the things that actually are you. Like really like how prescient is that now? People who are afraid of being called out for the things that they've actually done. Yeah, for you're the like, people they really are. Yeah, you're like don't call me the or thing their I actions, am. Yeah. Whatever actions they've taken. Yeah, don't don't call me out for the thing that I did to you that mm-hmm. I directly did to you. Like, okay. Are you saying that we as humans have been the same the entire time? Oh my god. I maybe, think that might be true. Maybe it's not new. Oh, maybe it's not new. We've had so many wars. And, and at the end of that, at the end of that uh that sequence where he shoots the colonel, it turns out to be his friend Francois's dream. Yes. Again. Who he wakes up from. He wakes up and he's like. And his wife is reading. Yeah. And he's like, I just had a dream that I dreamt Henry's dream. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) I love that. God damn it. It's deep diving dreams. Yeah. Deep diving dreams. I'm here for it. Yeah. I loved it. And then, okay, so I have a question for you, Austin. Yeah. It's about women in this film, the representation of women in this film, the roles they play. Like, how did you, especially with the fact that you've watched so much of Boonwell, Mm -hmm. how do you feel like Boonwell represented women in this film? Yeah. I I find it really interesting because they don't have seemingly any agency whatsoever at all. Like, they're, they're either making dinner or wanting to have sex with men. Like, really... Like like yeah. the, the the woman from Miranda who is the uh, the activist wants to kill uh, the, the the ambassador. ambassador and she might have the most agency of every of everyone and then she is she is you know sexually assaulted by by the ambassador mm-hmm. and and so there's and then murdered and then murdered so out of our main characters like they don't really have anything to do other than kind of flit around which i think is really the point of their characters like the men don't really have a lot to do more than scheme and try to keep their status yes so i think everybody's about keeping their status and so there's just a real incredible superficial nature to every one of the characters but i found it striking to watch this because of watching other boonwell films like tristiana or belle de jour or even like Simone of the Desert or uh, Veridiana as well, like where Boonwell has a well of really great female characters who have agencies, who are just as hypocritical as as their male counterparts, who are just as as confused and and working to try to to better themselves, even if that's against the even if that's against their natures or even if they feel like their natures are one way and what they want to achieve and want to be or something else. Like he has a real long history with making these characters very interesting. And it's fascinating that this film, everybody is so like, while they feel like humans, as I said, they also feel very cardboardy. Like they feel like there is very little going on in the human being at all. Which is, I think, his point. Yeah. The bourgeois, in his mind, and in this portrayal, if their only value, if they see their only value as maintaining their status, mm-hmm. then 
there isn't anything beneath the surface. Yeah. Because there's, as you said, Miranda has dissonance. Mm-hmm. They're there to protest the ambassador. Although we don't ever see them do that. He just says it. Although mm-hmm. she does come up to try to murder him, which I was like all for. But anyway. Yeah. Um, they, they, okay, so thinking about the ambassador, he has an opportunity mm-hmm. to to imp- improve the status of his country, to, as a diplomat, mm-hmm. be there to best represent the interests of Miranda. His job is to be there in France and best represent Miranda, help them get everything they need from his relations with the, well, it wasn't the European Union at the time, so mm-hmm. just France. Mm-hmm. And that is a really important role. Yeah. Um, and I, we don't know, obviously, his interest is in making money through the drug trade mm-hmm. and in taking that money and not bringing it back into Miranda and putting it back into the systemic problems that they have there or even really discussing it with anybody or being mm-hmm. honest about it in any way. Yep. So yeah, it is really interesting to think about these people who have no depth of character, who have no substance beneath the surface, who are simply there to eat mm-hmm. and they can't even do that. So Austin, are there any films that you would like to recommend to stumble upon next? Yeah, I, I've been recently thinking a lot about and went to see the Hao Shu Shen film Millennium Mambo, uh, which is a two thousand one film, I believe. It's like Hao Shu Shen is a Taiwanese filmmaker. He's an incredible stylist. He uh, he's interesting because he has a really wonderful aesthetic of long takes so you have to again kind of like Bunuel, you spend time watching a scene and it really behooves you to watch something more than once of his because you're going to see how bodies move in space you're not just going to see close-ups of faces and see close-ups of like insert shots of somebody moving something closer to somebody else you're like oh that dossier means everything watching a haoshu shen film is like watching just an exquisite painter craft beautiful landscapes with people and millennium mambo is a wonderful film which includes one of my favorite opening sequences that i've ever seen in cinema uh and i'll just leave it with that em is there something that you'd like to recommend yeah i think i'd like to recommend some more surrealist work Mm. um and i'm thinking jean cocteau's beauty and the beast Mm. it is exquisite yeah it's the best it it, when you sit down with it just let it wash over you it is really pay attention to the what's happening in the scenery Mm -hmm. i don't want to give anything away but it is the best interpretation of beating the beast i've ever seen Mm -hmm. i believe you told me his lover plays the beast yep which is so cool Mm -hmm. and so progressive um then i would like to recommend almodovar's women on the verge of a nervous breakdown yeah which is funny as shit. And our next one. It will be our next episode. But also, it's just so funny. It's yeah. so 80s. It's yeah. so vibrant. And it's Watch a, it. It's also a really important film, like thinking about Spanish cinema, just like the the progression of Spanish cinema from Bunuel, who, who created surrealism in cinema in a lot of ways with the f- film work that he did with Dolly. And then by the time that he had passed, as Franco had passed, you move into this incredible new era with Almodovar and like there's all these really wonderful Spanish filmmakers in between the two but like as pillars or touchstones to two separate eras of Spanish cinema like 
you couldn't you couldn't do better. You're welcome. And also, I like to point out that both Jean Cocteau and Almodovar are queer as fuck. Mm-hmm. So you're welcome for that. Um, and then I'd also want to point out you, some you art. Did a, you did a lot for. for I for, did. For, I made their art. Them. Yeah. It was me. It was all me. You're, you're welcome. You're, I did that. You're, you're you're taking credit in in post. I will always take credit. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just learning from the white guys around me. Hey, well, you're welcome for that. <laughs> well done. <laughs> But I want to also recommend a piece of art. I want to recommend an artist in the surrealist vein. Okay. Magritte. Rene Magritte, the Mm -hmm. Belgian painter, Mm -hmm. who I deeply love and have loved since I lived in Brussels. Yeah. And um, I would recommend checking out his work. It is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I just go stumble upon it. And the last piece that I would like to recommend. The last, last piece? The last, last piece. Your PS to the PS? PPS. The last piece that I want to recommend is ours. Mm -hmm. Self-tape. It's a short film, surrealist, absurd science fiction. It's 12 minutes long. And there is a private link in our show notes today. So if you would like to see it, you Mm -hmm. can click through and watch our little piece of surrealism, Mm -hmm. which I hope you enjoy. Yeah. So as always, Mm -hmm. you can find us on Instagram at Fishtown Films. Yep. We'll be posting what we're going to be watching next, what we're going to be talking about next, Mm -hmm. other recommendations, and of course, get behind the scenes of what we do. Yeah. We really appreciate you guys being here with us today and listening, and we hope you enjoyed our discussion of Boonwell's The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie. Take care. Bye.